Well, uh, we are back. Hello, hello. Back we are. So, Drupi, tell me, are you excited about the episode and about the amazing topics we're going to have? We had a very, very special day today because we did a Q&A with our yeah. fans. Yes, yes, yes. We received several questions on our social media. Yeah, and, and on, exactly. And on the lucky chosen few, we'll get highlighted today. So uh, we will be talking about questions about microfibers, microplastics, and CO2 emissions and how they can benefit fashion. Also, from this episode, we are introducing a little bit of a different format where we throw in themes at each other. So we're not uh, preparing them anymore. And themes are surprised for both of us, just like for our listeners. And the next topic will be Prada menswear collection. And surprise, surprise, Freemasons Society and their visual symbolism. So Jupi, tell me, uh, what was the first question uh, you've been asked this day? So I was, um, I received a few questions, but one caught my attention because uh, it's a hot topic now in fashion, which is microfibers, uh, which by the way, just little spoiler and little coming out, I'm wearing now. Okay, are you You're wearing, wearing microfiber right now? Okay, Juppie, I'm gonna be really dumb and ask you, what is microfiber? So microfibers are essentially plastic. So wearing microfiber is like wearing wearing plastic. But the thing is that the problem with the microfibers and the reason why we, we, I was asked to explore this topic is because um, whenever you wash your uh, your clothes, if they are made of microfibers, the uh, the uh, tiny pieces of these uh, of plastic get released into the water. They end up in the ocean. The fishes end up eating the microfibers. We end up eating the fish. And when we are poisoned with plastics, vicious circle. Precisely, exactly. And this is the problem that uh, the the plastic. When we think of plastic in the ocean, you know that there is this this narrative about this huge island of plastic in the ocean. Or if you watch, do you watch David Attenborough uh, episodes? Yeah, yes, yeah, some of them. Yeah, of course, it's it's a huge problem, right? And I actually. Even taking it a bit further, there are a lot of statistics what our bodies today are infused by plastic. And exactly. it's not only it's not only microfibers. Apparently, every time we drink like from plastic, or you know, even when we get an uh, injection and we use plastic syringe, well, apparently but that uh, is microplastics. Hmm? That that is microplastics. Is every time you there is some some plastic container or something it releases yeah. my it sheds essentially pieces of plastic very tiny pieces of plastics in the water. No, but what I'm saying is that if you watch David Attenborough and he speaks about the animals uh, feeding plastic to their chickens, for instance, in the ocean or the fishes eating plastic, you always imagine these big chunks of plastic, when in fact uh, the majority of plastic in the ocean and it's a lot comes from washing our clothes. So okay. what? Should we not wash our clothes? Is it a solution? 
Exactly. That's one of the suggestions is to wash our clothes less. Imagine washing your plus your your microfiber clothes less. It's it's hell because they smell a lot. So you can't go to the gym and <laughs> or you can just, you can just uh, shop at Primark, you know, new day, new t-shirt. Yeah, but you see, that's the problem. That if you go to Primark and buy 100% cotton, cotton poses another problem. So this is exactly what, what I wanted to uh, what I wanted to talk about. Uh, the if you avoid buying microplastics, buying nylon essentially, uh, and buy cotton, you're going to create another problem because cotton is extremely costly for the environment because of the amount of water it uses. So there is no salvation. So guys, don't think that we have one problem. We have many. One problem for each type of fiber one problem for each type of fabric basically fashion is evil in all its forms there is no you know ultimate wholesome solution like marketing is saying us Exactly. In fact, I think that uh, the old uh, buy less and buy better, that's the only sustainability, because if you are going to buy even the most sustainable thing, it creates waste and, and waste is not a good thing. Okay, so I, I don't know if you have seen the um, Business of Fashion Index of Sustainability. Let I had not. So it just came out and business, because you see, if I ask to 10 people what is sustainability, they may come up with 10 different uh, solution for it. And uh, Business of Fashion has invented a sort of six criteria, six pillars of sustainability, uh, and they can read each brand according to them. And they are, they go from carbon emissions, waste, water and chemicals, workers' rights, uh, and oh, there are six, I can find the other two, I don't remember them now. But it's Essentially, they have read every brand in fashion, the most, the biggest brand in fashion, and the best performing brands seem to be Nike for sportswear, H&M for the mass market, and um, and uh, caring for. Can I challenge it? Obviously, I know you don't work for business of fashion, Jupy, yeah. but. Uh, Nike trainers, most of them are done with plastic. And if you go like to the gym or you go for a run, you know the rubber sole erases eventually, like even if you wear it once. So surely all these plastic particles must be like flooding our environment everywhere. So how is that sustainable? Exactly. That's one another problem is that some scientists, we, we don't have much research because the studies on microplastic are very recent, but one of the problems is that some scientists even say that we breathe microplastics for exactly for the reasons you're saying. But the oh, uh, yeah, first, there is there is no way out of it, Like we're just gonna be taken over by plastic. Well, may, maybe maybe it will make our skin look smaller. Plastic is yeah. quite small. Oh, if you inject it, it's certainly going <laughs> to make it look. This is the solution I want. Next time I'm inhaling plastic, I want my Botox to automatically, or my fillers to automatically, uh, you know, go up my face. This is what they should be working on. They should be, yeah, exactly. I mean, implants go inside your body. Now, but the problem that you uh, that you are highlighting is ex is essentially the the reason why uh, business of fashion 
has introduced these six pillars of sustainability is because once again now you were talking about nike uh, having this problem of plastic soles which is everything is true problem is that it's not the only criteria so for instance nike is more transparent than others that's another criteria is transparency uh, so if you take all the things that make sustainability, okay, transparency, water and chemicals, um, carbon emissions, uh, waste, um, human rights, etc. If you put all, all of them together, then you get a sort of, uh, sort of a, you can classify brands according to how sustainable they are. And I think that's a brilliant idea because it's a micro within the limits of fashion is an objective way to evaluate the performance of brands. So I think this is this is pretty good. I'm always super suspicious when brands say we are transparent. How can we really know if a brand is transparent? Because in the end of the day, we can only really trust the data, statistics and things they say. And it's like uh, me saying, you know, uh, I'm a very conscious consumer. I only buy sustainable brands. But hey-ho, you don't know what's hidden in a skeleton area of my wardrobe. Exactly. And this is, uh, and this, as you probably know, uh, as much as I do, is going to be solved in the future by blockchain. Yes, yeah, so blockchain could be a solution. But when again, blockchain, I'm in the mood of questioning everything today. Blockchain, you know, the original data record is still filled in by a human. So no, nothing prevents them from, you know, maybe tricking the supplier data or adding wrong destination for the original raw material from one country to another yeah. or from one yeah but you can the, the thing is that it's still better than the, uh, the than the current model because the current model is vertical so it hinges upon a uh, a system at the top whereas blockchain is horizontal so each piece in the in the uh, um in the chain of production in the uh sort of um process of production uh, gets updated by each person, as you're saying, that, that works on that. So for instance, the, per the person creating the fabric and then the person stitching it and then the person shipping it, shipping it to, the, uh, to the brand and then the brand selling. Every piece automatically updates this sort of uh, virtual uh, passport for clothes. And it's easy to control everything if it's a pyramidal system. But if it's about single individuals that work horizontally is much more difficult to leverage them at an individual level. So you can you can probably control one of them, but controlling all of them is more difficult. Anyway, th this is the future. We don't know how we are going to implement it yet in fashion, but it's certainly a promising a promising idea uh, for transparency. If, if we are alive by one and not full of plastic inhalation issues. Yeah, 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 exactly. And if we have to be full of plastic, at least at least let's hope it's in the right places. Exactly. Precisely. In our cheekbones and lips. <laughs> That's, it. That's what we want. So what about CO2 emissions? What what the another solution offered there? Yeah, so the CO2 emissions, because you see, that's probably the most common answer you would get when you when somebody say, talks about sustainability. Probably the most common answer is going to be, oh, uh, the CO2 emissions, the biggest problem because it uh, it increases the temperature of our planet and it causes, you know, disruptions of all sorts. Now, there is there are a couple of brands now that are, uh, this technology did not start in fashion. It started in building, in building in the uh, sort of, builders, um, uh, 
uh, industry domain, which is trying to harvest CO2 to create concrete, to create cement. And, and this is usually, and this is now being used in fashion by Pangaya, for instance, they created a pair of glasses, a collection of glasses made out of CO2. Imagine how cool it would be to wear a pair of glasses made out of pollution. And another brand is L'Oreal, which is, which is using uh, CO2 to produce uh, bottles for perfumes and even ethanol, which is a chemical that they may use for, for the perfumes. But you were saying you doubt everything, so I am sure you will doubt this as well, right? Well, what if it evaporates? Imagine paying a few hundred quid for these nice sun, uh, sunglasses and then CO2 evaporates. <laughs> great performance, but, you know, yeah. um, fashionable experience in the long run. Maybe, maybe you know, after all, people are buying NFTs in digital fashion, so why not buy evaporating sunglasses? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good plan. No, the problem with with this is that is Pangaya launching it, and Pangaya is all about sustainability. Uh, and people really believe that Pangaya is about sustainability. The problem is that this is not a solution to anything. It sounds very cool capturing CO two, but actually they are not really capturing CO two from the environment because we simply don't have the technology to do so. They are using uh, a fraction of CO two produced by uh, factories, for instance, or by industry several industries and, and, and factories so you use a fraction of that so it sounds really cool uh, from the point of view of marketing but is it solving the problem of the co2 in the environment which is a a lot no it's not solving much so guys you can decide to buy evaporating sunglasses as alexandra is saying but don't think that you're solving the problem of sustainability okay because i know that you want to get slim by eating more food but that's just not gonna happen so and at the same time you can't save the environment by buying more hmm. yeah <laughs> but at the same time I also wouldn't buy what many people believe in. You know, historically, people do tend to believe in many things. And then, uh, you know, if you if you stick to your beliefs, you might end up being deeply disappointed. After all, many believe what uh, COVID is not real or... Exactly. The conspiracy theories. So, I mean, there know. are people who believe in God. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, we will talk about it later today, and, you know, and we'll see where you and I stand. So speaking of uh, beliefs and um, identities and symbols, uh, I looked at Brother Manswear collection for Autumn Winter 22. Uh, beautiful collection, you know, very luxurious menswear, coats, great suits. Nice tailoring, very, very uh, flamboyant and dressy, and I would even say performative. I thought it was very interesting what Brand presented the collection with idea of work as being an essential element of our life and how one should dress for work. And the big uh, sort of uh, aesthetic I identified in this collection is almost American Psycho. You know how he would uh, dress uh, like very carefully and would prepare and be very conscious of his visual presentation. And as the movie progressed, we realized, 
you know, it's all performance. He's not really there. This is what he said. You know, I'm, I'm here. You know, you can shake my hand. You can look me in the eye, but I'm not here. And this is how I often feel about uh, people who work in a city or in a very corporate environment. And yeah. Uh, no, you're making me think that of something that uh, of something that some psychoanalysts say about about today's world, which is very well represented by American psycho, is the idea of normotics, which is a sort of uh, a sort of uh, merging the word psychosis with normality, so normosis, <laughs> because it's the uh, it's essentially what Norman Bates in American Psycho is. I suppose you read the book as well, and the the absolute madness of this man. Now, American Psycho is very different from Hitchcock's Psycho because the madness of this man does not come from a trauma like in Hitchcock's uh, case, like in, in Psycho by Hitchcock. The madness of this man comes from having success, from being extremely good at his job, from being, and this success is constantly expressed through the obsession for fashion. And therefore, uh, his psychosis, psychosis coincides with his own normality. So it's a very productive Active from a from a business point of view, um, uh, illness, sickness. I also think this sort of madness. Uh, it's a metaphor for reality of modern world and how you know corporate environment can be an absolute madness. And I had interesting conversations with people who have to dress up for work in this very professional way. Most of them truly despise it. However, I had conversation with people who can go to work in pyjama or hoodie and they do dress up like they put a three-piece suit. So therefore, what I have noticed, there's a tendency for some people to dress in a workwear or even uniform or wear a version of uniform as a performative act rather than professional necessity. And I felt like Prada played on this idea, what sort of a work by references or uniform, they have no uh, actual target to people who have to dress like this for work, but it's more an aesthetic choice. And yeah. that's why I found it so fascinating. But isn't it as a, isn't this exactly the point though, that, uh, that people hate it, as you say, and also I happen to speak to people who really hate it, to having to dress like that for work. But isn't that because they have to? But isn't fashion exactly uh, using something that you have to do in a way that is choosing to do it? In other words, fashion takes something, it's like when fashion is inspired by the dresses of the Catholic Church, for instance, or any, any specific environment. Isn't this exactly taking a symbol, devoiding it of its duty or symbolism, and, and, and filling it with the only symbol of, uh, of the only meaning that is, that is fashion? And uh, in the case of Prada, for instance, and, and I agree with you about this 80s echo, uh, it seems to me that is a sort of uh, formality that, by the way, I, I didn't only think at Prada, but also at Fendi, Zenia, which is like saying, okay, we are so tired now of the pandemic sort of loungewear and pangaya things and, and, you know, and things that you wear, simple things to stay at home. And, and we propose something formal because it's new and it's new because you haven't been doing it for the past few seasons. Yeah, we always want next thing because we get satisfied very easily and nothing really lasts. But the symbolism, uh, 
had a very, very good base for the next move I did this week, which was going oh, to... Can I ask you a question? Of course. I, I, want to, I want to know your opinion on something. Now, one of the main critiques, now I, I truly like you loved the Prada collection. I think it was a great season for Prada, great colors, great presentation, great everything, great even casting. Uh, but I heard some criticism about this collection because it was a little bit too Balenciaga and was, uh, whereas Prada usually does its own thing, now it's winking at Balenciaga. What did you think about this? We had like Twin Peaks actor, right? Yeah. As well on the show. Well, I mean, what can we say if you want to sell and uh, Gen Z is the consumer of the future, I think you have to bend a little bit to suit their aesthetics. Because look, um, they, they have more and more money. And, you know, as we say in Russian, there is a proverb in Russian. The person who pays, uh, that person leads the dance. So essentially... Um, uh, Capitalism always wins. This is what it means. <laughs> yeah, so essentially, you know, the person who is covering the bill and then has the final say. Uh, therefore, you know, like all brands adopting this. I also read what Prada started doing NFTs with Adidas, which sounds surreal, but it's all happening. Uh, like, look, uh, I think, you know, if you want to make money, you, you have to ben. follow it and it's unavoidable. But yeah, of course, you know, we probably would like to see brands sticking to their identities and their true efforts. But Come on, let's be honest. Balenciaga today is not really the Balenciaga which we would identify brand to be 10 years ago or 50 years ago. So things do shift. Definitely. Especially look, Prada's biggest opportunity is probably Asia at the moment as well, which is also yeah. younger consumers. So we, we have to do that. And Twin Peaks, you know what? I kind of would take a guess what this is Ralph Simmons' vibe rather than Mewchev. For some reason, I feel like this is the type of thing he would be watching in his free time. I think she likes uh, David Lynch very much. I mean, Mewchev is somebody who, the Signora Mewchev is an unpronounceable name in Italy, but <laughs> she really likes cinema very much. But one thing that I like about what you said is that also you like me, you are not obsessed by who did it first. It doesn't matter who launches a, a trend first. It matters who leads it and who makes it work. So who cares if there is some similarity with Balenciaga? So I do. I'll put it another way. I think Miucci Prada likes David Lynch. But the way Miucci Prada would do David Lynch, you would have to do a lot of analysis to spot the reference. Yes. However, uh, what Ralph Simmons like to do, oh, I like this movie. Let me do a print and put a patch right here at the front. So if you're looking for reference, you don't have to look very far. Yeah, this is so true because when Miocha Prada did a collection inspired uh, by uh, Fassbinder's uh, Petra von Kant, she did exactly what you're saying. You had to watch the collection 12 times before noticing some some vague similarities because they're so transformed. Sorry, I cut you on the other topic that you wanted to discuss. Not at all. I think we had a great conversation. You know, we would never had uh, went to these dimensions and give a little bit of critique to Signora. But um, yeah, and having watched this collection, next thing I did, I went to Freemasons Hall in central London 
which uh, is a very interesting place. And just to explain to you how I link Prada and uh, Freemasons. So it's a huge uh, building in Common Garden. And literally, if you stand next to the main entrance, there is a constant flow of men dressed in workwear, very formal, with similar briefcases. And one after another, one after another, they just um, walk in and disappear in the labyrinths of that incredible building. And obviously, it's what they, how they market themselves these days. They say, we are not a secret society. We are society with secrets. I think, you know, it's a great, a great idea even for fashion or any, any sort of a contemporary narrative. What is inside? Because I have always wanted to go, but I've never, I've, for some reasons, I never enter the building. What, what's inside? What do you find inside? There is a plain member of public. You can go and see the museum where we kind of show a bit of history and some um, sort of ceremony and meanings. But essentially, they like, let you see their identities of values, like integrity, charity, being a good person, blah, blah, blah. They kind of show you different uh, symbolic. For me, I think what you really understand, first of all, uh, the society uh, probably is so successful because they really know their branding. It's almost like Prada uh, logo. So it's uh, based on the uh, stone, I think, builders, essentially yeah. deal. That's what, what maçon means in French. So yeah. it's the word that means builder in French, yeah. yeah. We have like this sort of a geometric symbol, uh, which is very key, like brand logo, but then, Everything is full of little symbols and there's a lot of this surreal checked flow, almost like David Lynch aesthetic. And in order to become one, we tell you about the rituals. Uh, we put you in a coffin, we blind you. It's, it's insane. And after I've spent some time there, you can go to the library. You can go to the areas where we have like actual like life activities. But you can also see we all wear aprons, uh, huge necklaces. I think it's almost like fashion, very performative. And it, it looks like you suddenly being exposed to some ultimate truth, some knowledge. And because we have these rituals, you end up feeling like you went through some process. You didn't just find out about it. You had the privilege to become one. Yeah. And before it was only for men, like any members club, now it's for women. And I tried to talk to some people working there to get an idea, how can I become one? You know, after all, I thought aesthetically, it's a very pleasing yeah. um, environment. After all, like, why not? Uh, so, of course, you have to make a huge financial fee, uh, joining fee contribution. But, yeah, uh, I mean... A friend of mine joined recently. Hmm? A friend of mine joined. Right, well, uh, how, how was it going? I, I am very fascinated. He's in a I, I, oh, he's <laughs> no, I don't know that because I don't know if he had this rite of passage. Also, you have many rites of passage uh, when you, you know, because you enter as a standard member and then you grow inside. I don't agree on one point, which is the fact that it's like fashion. I mean, fashion uses uh, symbols, but the moment in which fashion adopts a symbol, the symbol stops existing as a symbol and becomes an aesthetic 
sort of signifier. So um, because Gucci used the Freemason symbols in some past collections, I think even Valentino in some of them. Uh, I even had one student writing about it actually a couple of years ago. And um, but I want to say one thing. You were talking about how the Freemasons are uh, not a secret. How did you put it? Not a secret society? They are not a secret society. They are a society with secrets. Yeah, but actually the problem with the Freemasons is that it's true that the majority of it is like an iceberg. You have It's like an inverted iceberg. You have the majority of it that is visible and usually you have some segments of it that is not visible. And I'm saying this because in Italy, the Italian society, which is not as important as the British one, but there is a very old uh, sort of tradition of Freemasons in Italy as well, like in France and in Britain. And um, there are, the members are known, are public but there are some of the i think they're called lodges some of the segments essentially that were were discovered to be private to be secret in italy and one of those was killed in london in a place that has a daunting name which is blackfriars bridge you know the blackfriars bridge is full of, mes of, of symbols of freemasons which is next to, it's not too far. So if you go there, it's full of symbols, of, it's a symbol of Freemasonry. And that's the reason why this Italian man called Enzo Calvi, I think was Enzo Calvi, yes, was hung uh, in there, was found dead in uh, the uh, bridge. I also have heard what in Italy, Masons are quite linked with mafia. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not very knowledgeable about the links between Freemasons and Mafia, but essentially it doesn't surprise me because they are structured in the same way. The Mafia in Sicily, the Camorra in, in Campania, and the uh, Sacra Corona Unita in a different region, uh, in um, Apulia. I think, uh, yeah, and uh, those are all organized like Freemasons, so it wouldn't surprise me at all. Oh, well. Uh, anyway, Juppie, would you ever consider joining them? No. When my, friend told me, <laughs> when my friend told me, I was like, wow, this is so cool. I want to wear the cape and everything <laughs> and the rings. which I and, and, you know, and, and be put inside of a coffin and sit exactly. on this chest. You know, we have massive chairs. Yeah. And also I dream of becoming the, you know, the top, not just one of the servants. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But but and then I went online and I checked. Uh, the, I look tan with this light. I'm looking awful. Sorry. Uh, and then I went online and I checked the rules for uh, for joining the uh, Freemasons. And I discovered that one of the requirements is that they, you have to believe. Uh, they don't say God. Uh, I don't know if you've been there, but they say in a, in a um, supreme being thing. Sorry. I think we call it supreme being. Yeah, but in in the fact that the the universe is designed, and I talked to my friend and I said I would never be able to be part of this because my friend is a biologist, and I said I would never be able to be part of this because you have to believe in the, the world is a design and I don't believe that the world is a design and he says yeah but there is uh, the world has a structure it has a logic and I say yes but one thing is believing in the logic another thing is believing that somebody created the logic I, and I believe in chance now you either believe in chance or in the will of God and I've chosen to believe in chance not in the will of God I think I might give it a go. I tell them I worship the Church of Fashion. How about that? 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> Imagine how chic if Miucha designed the capes and everything. It would be amazing. And then we'll just get uh, rough uh, around the corners so he can patch the things up just to make it a little bit more obvious. The eye in the triangle. Do you believe in God, Alexandra? Wow, Jupiter, that's a very blunt question. Um, I <laughs> I don't think I do. No, I don't. I I don't have any confession, but you know, I think I believe in myself and I believe in you. Oh, I believe in you as well. And I've got a lot of compassion when I watch my bank account. That's the moment <laughs> which I've got great. Oh wow, do you want to confess about something? What? <laughs> do you want to do you want to confess? So maybe you have some worship. Well, secret worshipping routine in, in my atheist world and this is something that Foucault said confession has been replaced by the studio of the psychoanalyst do you know do, you don't go to the priest to confess anymore you go to the psychoanalyst and you tell everything to him that's how <laughs> confession was replaced in modernity and I prefer uh, and, and I prefer the church of Sigmund Freud <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever considered what contemporary conf confession could be anonymous comments on social media as well. Yes, and also, but the pro you know what the problem is, that in social media, if you stumble, so if you stumble within the Catholic Church, you get atonement, okay, you get forgiven. On social media, if you stumble and you say the wrong thing, there is no way you're going to be forgiven. You know, if somebody, uh, if Diet Prada <laughs> gets you on the spot, there is, you can say whatever you want, you're never going to be atoned. You're always going to be transphobic, homophobic, racist, misogynist, etc. There is no way of atoning your sins on social media. So, no thanks. I prefer, I prefer the atonement of either the priest of my psychoanalyst. Okay, I, I think I will stick to Prada. Uh, I oh, think. Yeah, exactly. Mucha tones everyone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, on another note, uh, we would like to recommend our listeners if we're in London uh, next week, uh, something special to entertain themselves with. So, a fan of our podcast. Charles, the Chinese man, who is a very talented and brilliant photographer, is having an exhibition. He's actually having two exhibitions, which we are very excited about to see. And we are lucky to say we had a little preview and we would like to share some of our reflections because you could be interested in photography and visual culture, which would be a really great opportunity to go and entertain yourself with. Or maybe you're a smart contemporary citizen who is looking for a financial investment. So why not invest in an upcoming photographer work which could be costing millions in a few years' time. Don't miss the opportunity. Exactly. So, so the exhibition uh, opens on the 2nd of February, and it's at Brick Lane Gallery. It's a group exhibition called Photography Now. And then next exhibition, which opens on the 5th of February, is at Royal Hill Cafe in Greenwich. And that's a solo exhibition, which is titled in German, which I cannot read, Jupi, but I can read it in English. What is human? 
and uh, when you something <laughs> that's something. the only word in the phrase that I can pronounce in German is mensch. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we like I said before, we were very lucky to have a preview of the exhibition, and uh, but it was very exciting, Drupe. Did you? Yeah. Let's introduce him. Let's introduce Charles, uh, the Chinese man, uh, with this. The, 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 the interesting thing is that he chooses a very, uh, the most uh, stereotypical name, no? He's Chinese. Mm -hmm. So Charles, the Chinese man, but he's the least uh, stereotypical person in the world, meaning that he challenged, he, even as a person and as a photographer, he challenges every possible assumption. Um, uh, his style I would define as a, uh, so essentially for Charles is almost as the world is a, a huge uh, free stage, a stage about which you don't have to pay any tickets, unlike, um, unlike the, uh, the film or, or theater performances that you, uh, that you um, may go to watch. However, in the world, you can find moments of truth that no movie and no theater can offer you. In this sense, it reminds me a little bit of Besson, um, his, uh, his style, because it's almost like uh, he's always in the city, uh, also he only does analog photography, he's always in, in, in the city or in the cities of the world trying to cap capture moments, fleeting moments usually, um, and, and that's the beauty of, I think, of what he does. Um, sometimes he shoots in black and white, sometimes in colors, but one thing that is uh, always at the center of his inquiry, seems to me, is the the, the fleeting moment that, that doesn't last for longer than a second. So only if you have the eye of a photographer, you can capture. Because I think that there is a phrase that, that I've studied when I did my photography courses at university, my history of photography courses that I see here is the fact that the photographer doesn't uh, doesn't uh, photograph what he sees. Uh, he sees what he photographs. So the, the perspective of a photographer is always through the camera. Okay, it's never, uh, it's never looking for a truth. It doesn't see truth unless he has a camera in front of himself. It's, it's almost as an extension of, uh, of the body. And that's what seems to me um it's what i think yeah, is and it's quite uh, phenomenal what he notices little details which most people just walk by such as maybe uh like street markets or people doing something in public places it's not the things we usually pay attention to but we experience them every day and i think he kind of brings our attention to these elements which often just pass by which is beautiful in its own sense and he definitely has his very specific style and aesthetic so again we do encourage our listeners next two weeks if i in london to go enjoy these beautiful images and collect, and collect them yes after all uh don't collect nft collect photography oh totally don't collect something that could create a financial bubble tomorrow go for the secure market of photography another thing that i want to say though about charles uh, charles's work is that he's got this very peculiar approach that he uh, zooms into the lives of people in the sense that he 
gets very close to uh, to the people he takes pictures of and usually those are people he doesn't even know and he violates the sacred space that has been created the secret bubble that has been even reinforced uh, in our lives not only because in london the the you know the intimacy is like not one meter but is at least 10 meters if you cross two meters two meters apart keep the distance that's for covid but i mean that in london the idea of intimacy is much larger and he constantly violates that and it's really uh, what captures my attention is the way in which he violates this space constantly because he needs to come very close to his uh, models let's talk about them as models even though they are just common people uh, and yet he manages to make them look natural at the same time so he violates the space but you don't get this sense of violation when you look at the pictures so just google him and see his work and possibly go and see the um, real exhibition yeah. and this is what we're going to be doing next week as well so if you would like to find us in real life in person brickland gallery and Park Hill Greenwich Cafe. This is where you can find all of us. Yeah, unless you hate us and you want to beat the hell out of us, in that case, don't go. But if you want to be friendly and, and say hi, then it's it's the moment to go. Or maybe you want to ask us a question for next Q&A. We do encourage all our listeners to send us uh, via questions. Also, don't forget to follow us please write any reflection and feedback under our channel and we will um, we might pick on you and answer or maybe comment or critique anything you tell us next week. so be very careful with what you say I mean, we've got an email, we've got a KGB uh, Culture Gumbad email, we've got Instagram accounts, we've got uh, YouTube, we've got everything. So you have 110 ways to insult. We give everything away. <laughs> we have to keep some mystery. We're not that accessible. Not very accessible. No, no, no. Unless you want to physically insult, uh, physically assault us. But if you want to just insult, that's okay. We know we have a vocabulary to answer back. Just be aware, she's Russian. Oh, wow, wow. Now, uh, let's not get nationalistic here. Well, um, on this <laughs> note... <laughs> Tell the Ukrainians. <laughs> on this note, uh, all I can say, uh, stick around, and we will tell you how bad the culture goes next time. 